You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. John chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we confess our need to You in understanding Your Word. O Spirit of God, we thank You that You have inspired Your Word and given it to us. By Your providence, You have brought it to us in our own language. We thank You for that. We pray now that You would be our help and our guide as we look at Your Word. Help us, we pray, to honor Christ as He should be honored and to glorify Him as He is so worthy. We pray this to the end of the glory of our great God and our King, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'm going to begin with a, a, a quote that I came across uh, it was a few months ago in a book, Does God Believe in Atheists, by William Baderwolf, who wrote, A man who can read the New Testament and not see that Christ claims to be more than a man can look all over the sky at high noon on a cloudless day and not see the sun. You catch that? Somebody who can read the New Testament and not see that Jesus Christ claimed to be more than a mere man. Is like somebody who can look at the sky at high noon on a cloudless day and not see the sun. In other words, the deity of Christ and the fact that he made extraordinary claims is so obvious to any clear-minded thinker and any unbiased reader that when you read the New Testament, just beginning in Matthew and going through the end of the book of Revelation, you will see the deity of Christ everywhere and always. And I don't actually believe that a Christian, somebody who has been born again and regenerated, needs to have the deity of Christ proved to them. I don't believe that the deity of Jesus is something that a truly born-again person has to sit down and wrestle through. I never remember a time anywhere in my life where after coming to Christ for salvation, I ever remember anybody sitting down and trying to prove to me the doctrine of the deity of Christ. It was something that I knew. I knew that somebody as sinful as I was, as wicked and reprobate and horrible and depraved as I had been, Anybody who was able to save that type of a wretch had to be more than a mere man. He had to be God. And so I just assumed and I knew that this person, Jesus, in whom I had placed my trust, was my God. This was the one I worshipped. He was the one I prayed to. He was the one I trusted. That my Savior had to be God in human flesh. I instinctively knew that. And then sitting down and reading through the New Testament and seeing the deity of Christ and having other people articulate and explain it and hear it taught, all that did was confirm something I already believed to be true when I got saved. Well, the deity of Christ is so straightforward, so plain in John chapter 5, it is like the noonday sun on a, uh, the noonday sun on a cloudless day. It is blazing for us to see. 
We see in John 5, verse 17, Jesus claimed equality with the Father in His authority over the Sabbath. Then in verse 18, the Jews wanted to kill Him for that, so He took it up a notch and He claimed equality with the Father in all of His works. Everything the Father does, Jesus said, I do. And everything I do is the works of the Father. Equality with the Father in all of His works. For instance, in verse 21, the work of the power of resurrection, that Jesus is equal to the Father in His power and His prerogative to raise all men from the dead. Then in verse 22, Jesus is equal to the Father in judgment. Not even the Father judges anyone, but all of the judgment of the triune God has been committed to the Son. And He will execute all judgment that is to be executed. So it only stands to reason that if He is equal to the Father in His authority, equal to the Father in all of His works, equal to the Father in power and prerogative of resurrection, and equal to the Father in judgment, that He would also be equal to the Father in the honor that He has given and the honor that He receives. Does that make sense? If Jesus is equal to God in nature, and in power, and in dominion, and in majesty, and in essence, and in substance, if He is indeed God, then there should be no distinction between the honor that is given to the Father and the honor that is given to the Son. And that's what we read in verse 23. So that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father, and he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now honoring somebody, in, in the context of speaking of the Father and the Son, honoring our God is an act of worship. And though we may be several months removed from John 4 and our, our discussion of what worship in spirit and truth is, we're really not that far removed from it as far as the text is concerned. We're only a few verses away from Jesus saying, the Father seeks true worshipers to be His worshipers, and those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Honoring the Father is an act of worship. So when we speak of honoring the Father, we are speaking of worship. So what does it mean to honor God in worship? Well, this is connected to our worship, and it is vital that you and I understand exactly what it means to honor the Son And thus, by honoring the Son, to honor the Father. Because if the Father is seeking true worshipers to be His worshipers, and we must worship God in spirit and truth, then we need to understand what does that mean and what does that look like. Well, John chapter 5 begins to flesh that out for us as we begin to see that honoring the Father means that we honor the Son as well. And we cannot, in fact, honor God and be a true worshiper of God if we are not willing to and do honor the Son as as an act of worship. So that's where we're at in John chapter 5, verse 23. This is significant to our worship. It has implications into all sorts of things that you and I are involved with every day, as you'll see toward the end of this. And it ought to affect our thinking that the the sum total and the goal of my Christian life is to give honor to the Son. And by giving honor to the Son, I am giving honor to the Father. So if I want to worship the Father, I must worship the Son. And if I am going to give honor to the Father, I must give honor to the Son. I cannot and nor can anybody say, I am honoring God, but I am ignoring Jesus Christ. That is an impossible act. If you ignore or dishonor Jesus Christ in any way, you are ignoring and dishonoring the Father as well. And thus you are ignoring and dishonoring Christ. So we see in John chapter 5, verse 23, there's really two sort of statements there that we're going to hang our thoughts on. The first is the equality of honor that is given to the Father and the Son. They are equal in honor. That's the first half of the verse. The second thing is the necessity of honoring the Son. That's the last half of the verse. Read that last sentence in verse 23 with me. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. That's the necessity of honoring the Son. So the Son and the Father are equal in honor, and you and I 
are obligated, it is our duty to honor the Son. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So first let's look at the equality of the Father and the Son in honor. It was the, and now this is where, let me back up just a second. Several weeks ago when we talked about the Trinity, then we dug deeper into the Trinity. We've been talking about the Trinity, three persons, one God, that biblical doctrine and all of the errors that sort of crop up around it. This is where laying the foundation of the Trinity begins to sort of pay dividends. Actually, I hope it started paying dividends weeks ago, but this is where we begin to see the dividends of this. It was pleasing to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit that the Son receive equal honor with the Father. That was something that was pleasing and in the design of God. It was God's design in sending His Son into the world that all of the honor that would be given to God would be given to the Son as well. That He would be honored, that He would be respected, that He would be worshipped, that He would be obeyed. That was the design of God in sending the Son. The Son came here so that He might receive equal honor with the Father. Now it is the Spirit's job to draw our attention and our worship and our praise to the Father and to the Son. So the Spirit of God enables us to honor the Father and to honor the Son, and it is the design of the Trinity that the Spirit help us to honor the Son, and by honoring the Son, we honor the Father, because they are equal in honor, because Jesus Christ is equally God. In John chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. To be glorified. I want you to read what Jesus prays in John 17 and ask yourself, is this something that any mere man could pray? Ask yourself this, if I were to pray this, what would you think of me? John 17, verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world began. If I were to stand up here and pray that, you would call me a what? A blasphemous madman. And you would be right, because I could never pray that. But that's what Jesus prayed. And he prayed that God would glorify him and honor him just as he was honored and glorified with the Father before the world ever began. In fact, the reason that all of the judgment has been committed into the hands of the Son is in order that, so that, all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Look at verse 22 and 23. We saw that all of the judgment has been given to the Son. The triune God has committed all of the divine judgment to the person of Christ. He did this, verse 23, so that, in order that, for the purpose of, all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. This is why the Father has given all judgment to the Son. So that everybody will look to the Son and fear the Son and kiss the Son and do homage to the Son and worship and obey the Son and take refuge in the Son so that the Son may be honored in the same way equally as the Father. That's going back to Psalm 2, which we read at the beginning. Do homage, kiss, obey, give reverence to, worship the Son, lest He become angry with you. Why? Because when His fire is kindled, His anger is kindled like a fire in an instant, He will consume the nations in judgment. And when that happens, there will be no refuge, unless your refuge is in Him. So why has the triune God committed all judgment to the Son? It is in order that the Son may receive equal honor with the Father. It's appropriate that all would honor the Son even as they honor the Father since it's Jesus who is the unique God who is in the bosom of the Father and has revealed Him. We saw that back in John chapter 1. Jesus is the only begotten, the unique God who Himself is in intimacy with the Father and as the representative of the Father, the Son reveals to us who the Father is. So that when we look on Jesus, we see what? We see the Father. Not because they're the same person, they're not. 
Because they're the same nature, the same essence. So when we see the works of Jesus, we see the works of the Father. We see the nature of Jesus, we see the nature of the Father. We see the love and compassion and kindness and character of Jesus. We are beholding the nature of God the Father. And when we give honor to the Son, because He is so intimately connected with the Father, we are also giving honor to the Father who sent Him. They are equal in nature, and so they must be equal in honor. Jesus was worshipped while He was here on earth. In fact, Jesus was worshipped before He came here to earth. He was worshipped by the angels in heaven. Hebrews 1.6 says, When God sent the Son into the world, He said to the angels, Now worship Him. Worship the Son. That was the command of the angels. The Magi came, and they worshipped Christ. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 14. Somebody confessed, You are certainly God's Son. In John chapter 9, the man born blind after he was healed said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I believe. And then John says, He bowed down and worshipped Him. In Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection, it says that they, after worshiping Jesus, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Matthew 28, after the resurrection, they beheld Jesus, met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. And then there's John's confession in John chapter 20, verse 28, My Lord and my God, which is a confession of the deity of Christ and an acclamation of worship. He's proclaiming an act of worship. My Lord and my God. He says this to Jesus. So Jesus, before He came here, was worshipped by angels. When He came here, He was worshipped by angels and by men. After His resurrection, He was worshipped by men. And in heaven right now, guess what? He is worshipped by men and by angels. And you can read Revelation chapter 5 to get a glimpse of the worship service that is given to the Lamb. And Jesus never once in all of His life and ministry ever refused worship from anybody. When they bowed down and they worshipped Him, He accepted worship and He never told them, no, 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 this is idolatry. I don't deserve this glory and honor. He accepted and received worship from people without ever correcting them. And none of the New Testament writers ever thought it odd that this man, Jesus, should be worshipped. They wrote of His worship. They called Him God. They described the worship that was given to Him as something that was completely natural. And none of them ever thought that it was idolatrous or a lack of giving glory to God or a lack of giving glory to the Father because all the writers of the New Testament understood that if you honor the Son, then you also honor the Father. And if you worship the Son, you are also worshiping the Father, because they are equal. And so it is our duty and it is our obligation as believers to worship and give honor to the Son. We're obligated to do that because the Son is our God. It is right to say that Jesus Christ is the Christian's God. Do you think that in giving honor to the Son that we are taking honor and glory away from the Father? Are we... Are we drawing away from or reducing the honor or glory or worship to the Father if we give some of that to the Son? Do we only have so much worship to go around? And so we worship the Father a little and the Son a little and the Holy Spirit a little. And anything that we give to the Son, by nature we are taking away from the Father. Is the Father's glory diminished because we give glory to the Son instead? Is that true? It is not. Do you know the path to giving glory to the Father? is giving glory to the Son. The Father is determined that He will be glorified and He is pleased when we give honor and glory to His Son. And the Father does not view that as blasphemous or an act of idolatry or not giving Him glory. It has pleased the Father to determine that He was glorified when we make much of His Son. That is the equality of the glory that we are to give to the Son. And yet, listen to Isaiah chapter 42, I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. 
Isaiah 48, verse 11, For my own sake, for my own sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. God has declared, I will not give my glory to another. And yet we are to give glory to the Son. Now what does that tell you? That God has said, I will not give my glory to another. God shares His glory with nobody, and He cannot. You know why? Because that would be to deny truth. That would be to be a liar. It would be for God to be an idolater. If He put your well-being above His own, or your glory, or the glory of any other thing above His own glory, that would be an act of idolatry. And God is not an idolater. And so we can give glory to the Son, knowing that it is not an act of idolatry, because the Son is God, and by glorifying and honoring the Son, we glorify, worship, and honor the Father. Because the Father is well-pleased, when we make much of His Son. Because God is glorified in that. That is the equality of the honor that we are to give between the Son and the Father. Now the necessity, the necessity, and that's in the last half of verse 23. The necessity of honoring the Son. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Because of the oneness that exists between the Father and the Son, then it is true that all of the interests of the one are also the interests of the other. And all of the purposes and the work and the passion and the plan and the desires and the character of the one is also the same as the other because of their oneness. And so vested in the glory of the Father is the Son that the Son could say in Romans 15 that all of the reproaches that are given to the Father fall upon Him. And it is likewise true that all of the reproaches that fall upon Christ fall upon the Father. So if you reproach or blaspheme the name of Christ, you will not be held guiltless because God counts that as something against Himself, the Father, because you are doing it to the Son. Such is their oneness. That to honor the one is to honor the other. To love the one is to love the other. To blaspheme, to neglect, to hate, to spurn, to mock, or to ridicule the one is to do all of that to the other. So if you mock and ridicule the Father, it is likewise an affront to the Son. If you mock and neglect and ridicule the Son, it is likewise an affront to the Father. So connected are they by their purpose and their oneness that an affront to one is counted as an affront to the other. And part of the reason that both the Father and the Son are dishonored when either one of them is dishonored is because of their nature, but likewise because one has sent the other. There's something that's repeated all the way through John chapter 5, and I want you to notice this because we're going to see it come up over and over again as we go through the rest of this passage. I want you to look at John chapter 5, verse 23. The very end of it says that he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Who sent him. I want you to understand something. An affront to an ambassador and an emiss- or an emissary is justly resented by the prince who sends him. An affront to an ambassador is justly resented by the prince who sends them. You send somebody on your behalf and somebody dishonors him, it is just for you to count that as a personal offense against you. If Jesus was sent by the Father, if the Son was sent by the Father, then any affront to the Son is likewise an affront to the Father. John 5.23 says Jesus was sent by the Father. Look at verse 24, the very, very beginning of the verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now, all the way through this passage, Jesus is going to repeat this. I've been sent by the Father. I have come from the Father. I am here to do the Father's will. Look at verse 30. 
I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Look at verse 36. The very end of the verse. The very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me, He has testified of me. You've neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His form. You do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe Him whom He sent. Verse 43. I have come in my Father's name. See the repetition of that? Over and over again. What is Jesus emphasizing? He is emphasizing, I have been sent by the Father. And so if you dishonor me, you are dishonoring the Father as well. Because they are one, and because the one sent the other. If the Father has sent the Son, and to dishonor Him is to dishonor the Father. You guys remember the parable of the the vine dressers in Matthew chapter 21? Jesus told the story about a man who bought a chunk of land and he built a vineyard built the tower and the water tower and put a fence around it and a gate around it, and then he rented it out to vine growers, and then he went away to a distant uh, country on a journey. And the vine growers came in and they grew the produce, and then after a period of time, the landowner sent his slaves back to collect the produce, the rent for the vineyard. And what did they do to those slaves? Jesus said they beat some, they killed another, they, uh, I forget what it was, stoned another one. They dishonorably treated them. So the landowner then sent another group of servants, another group of slaves, bigger than the first. And Jesus said they did the same to the second group. So then the landowner said, maybe if I send my son, they will respect my son. So the landowner sent the son, and what did they do? They said, let's kill him, and then we'll have his inheritance. Then we'll seize the vineyard itself. And so they killed the son in hopes that they would be able to then possess the vineyard. And Jesus said, when the landowner comes back, what will he do to those men? And the crowd listening to him said, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And we would say, that's right, he will, won't he? Why? Because the dishonor done to the son of a landowner is a dishonor done to the landowner. Jesus understood that. They understood that. And so to dishonor the son is to dishonor the father. Now this works itself out in application a hundred different ways, and I can only give you a few of them. Let me give you... For instance, a very near application just to the text itself in John chapter 5. Verse 18, what were they trying to do to him? What were they trying to do to Jesus? They were trying to kill him. So one of the things that Jesus is saying to the Jews who were listening to him then is this. You think that you are honoring God and doing a service to God by killing me. But that is not true. If you dishonor me and you reject me and you will not believe me and you will not submit to me and you will not honor me, do not think for a moment that you can honor the Father if you dishonor me. And he is equating himself with the Father so that the Jews who are seeking to kill him would not be confused and think that they were honoring God by trying to kill his son. That's the one application. Write to them, to their heart. Now Jesus is saying to them they're going to be judged because they have dishonored him. Verse 24 is a verse of refuge. We'll get to that next week. If you will repent, if you will believe, then I will save you. You pass from death to life and from darkness to light and you will not come into judgment. There is hope. There is an offer of salvation in the passage. But not to those who in verse 18 were going to kill him and think that they were honoring God. They should not be confused and think that they can dishonor Jesus and still honor their God, whom they said that they loved and whom they said that they obeyed and cherished. It can't be true. There's also an application to us as believers, you and I as believers. What is it that should characterize our worship and our lives? It is honoring the Son. So it is not wrong for us as believers to sing about the Son, to worship the Son, to honor the Son, to pray to the Son, to read about the Son, to reflect and meditate upon the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. None of that is idolatry and none of that is wrong. 
to worship and honor Him in our worship service is what God has called us to do. When we gather here together as a people, the Father is pleased when we make much of Jesus. That is what we are here to do. So it is right to pray to the Father and to honor the Father. It is also right to do that by making much of His Son. God is pleased when we see in His Son what He sees. Glory and honor and beauty and satisfaction for us. The Father is pleased with that. And so when we see in the Son what the Father sees in the Son, and we make much of His Son, the Lord, the Father knows that we are making much of Him. So every worship service should have as its central focus the Son of God and the honor that is given to Him and the revelation of Him in His Word. And this is what vexes me with all the happy, slappy, goofy, silly, stupid stuff that goes on in evangelicalism that I've described to you a hundred times. And some of you have seen it and some of you have come out of it and you know this. The pastor gets up front and he drives into church in a convertible and pops out and motorcycles jump over his head or he dresses up as Batman for some stupid, silly sermon series. None of that honors the Son. It's vexing. And Judgment Day will show. Judgment Day will show that all of these attempts to push the sun into the background and make much out of the speaker or the setting or the theme or the series or the program or whatever it is have all been dishonoring to the Father because the Son has not been honored. Just at, uh, well, it was just this last Christmas time, and maybe some of you saw this. I saw a video clip of a church, and this is just another example of goofy silliness. I could give you a thousand of them of a church who's their Christmas Eve service. It was about the incarnation. And for the Christmas Eve service, the pastor repelled out of the rafters of the church in a repelling harness. And as he was coming down, very slowly, he was explaining the incarnation, the sun coming from heaven to earth. And so the repelling was an illustration of the incarnation. And I watched that and I thought to myself, really? Was there somebody sitting in the congregation who said, I never understood the incarnation. How God could become man, Jesus coming from heaven to earth. Until I saw the pastor repel out of the rafters, then it all made sense. Suddenly my theology was all squared away. And all of that is about the speaker, the pastor, the, the waz, the shazam, the big wowza. None of it's about the sun. It's dishonoring to the sun. When what we do as a group of people does not have the honor and glory of the sun, as revealed in His Word, as the central focus, it dishonors the Father. We cannot, for one moment, minimize the Son and think that we are still honoring the Father in doing so. Because the Father has determined and decreed and decided that the way to honor Him is to make much of His Son. That is what, as believers, we are called to do. Now, the opposite of this is also true, that those who do not make much of the Son dishonor the Father. So the people who believe that Jesus is just a New Age avatar, some guide to God, or the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe Jesus is a created being, Michael the Archangel, or the Mormon who believes that Jesus is a created being and that he's the spirit brother of Lucifer, or the New Ager who believes that Jesus is just one manifestation or one emanation of God, or the modalist who believes that Jesus is not different from the Father and he's not equal to the Father because the God is just one person, or anybody else who has an inferior, inadequate, unbiblical, unscriptural, idolatrous view of God cannot possibly be honoring God. No matter how sincere their intentions may be, no matter how desirous they might be, or Christian they might look or sound, 
To have an idol in the place of the son is to dishonor the father. That is why I said some weeks ago that a modalist is an idolater because they have a different Jesus. To have a different Jesus is to have a different God. If you do not continue in the teaching of Christ, you do not have the Father either. Second John verse 9. And so it is dishonoring an idolatrous to have any other God but the Son as God. Now if we understand verse 23 rightly, then there are a whole bunch of myths and silliness that should eventually, uh, immediately vanish from our thinking. Any notion of ecumenism in the name of advancing quote-unquote Christianity or spiritual life should immediately be seen as utter and total folly. There's a massive movement in our day, culturally, for conservatives or religious people to get together, to form a big coalition. And I believe that the end desire is right, and that is to see to see our nation blessed and to see our culture what it once was and whatever perception people have of that. But the means to that end is an entirely wrong one. That is to get cultural conservatives and Mormons and Catholics and rabbis and peaceful imams or Muslims that don't want to kill us if there is such a thing. And any Christian who just names the name of an unnamed faceless God who just wants to get faith back in our culture, spirituality back in our public discourse. And if we are able to do that, then God will bless our nation. And so you gather together a large coalition of people who all have this end of making us as a nation a religious people. And then along comes somebody who understands verse 23 and drops the true God into the mix. And guess what happens to your coalition? They run like a bunch of cockroaches when somebody turns on the light. You can't hold together that. You can't get people together around that. And you can't say that you're honoring the Son by pushing him off to the side and saying, well, we're just going to get religion. We're just going to get faith. We're just going to get values reinstituted. No. You can't hold together some sort of religious coalition in hopes that eventually the discussion comes around to Jesus. You drop him into the middle of it and you say, this is it. We either agree about this or we disagree. But then our coalition will fall apart. Our values coalition will dissolve. I don't care. What good does it do? A bunch of moral people go into hell. And you throw Jesus into the mix, and the whole thing blows up. You put Jesus at the center, and you say, this is our starting point, and this is our ending point. And I will not dishonor Him for any other agenda, or any other objective, or any other goal. This is where we begin, with Christ. And if you will not honor Him, you will perish. Period. You want to agree with me on that? That's fine. We can work together. But if you will not agree with me on that, if we can't start there, then we have no place to go from there. Because we can't agree at the beginning. If two people are not agreed, how can they walk together, right? You can't walk together. This should be obvious why I'm not a big fan of trying to get prayer back in the public schools. Who are we going to have lead that? Are we going to have a Native American pray to the great God in the sky, the great spirit, and a New Ager pray to Mother Gaia, and the Muslims pray to Allah, and the Buddhists pray to Buddha, or whoever they pray to, and the Hindus pray to any one of their 300 million gods, and the rabbis come in and they do their God thing? How are we going to get that to happen? Do we honestly think that we can institutionalize and legalize idolatry in this country and that God will bless this nation? Hey, Lord, bless us. We have institutionalized idol worship. Now come and pour out your grace upon our land. That will never happen. Why? Because we have refused to honor the Son. It is the Son who must be at the middle of that discussion. We don't hope to get to Him. We begin with Him. And if we can't agree about that, then we can't even take one step together in any direction.
It begins and it ends with honoring the Son. I just heard this last week, a news story about... Um, I probably shouldn't try and wing this because I'm not going to get the details of this right, but um, wisdom says not to wing it, but I'm going to wing this anyway. The uh, I heard a news story about a man who went to pray, and I'm not sure if it was at a city council meeting or some sort of a school-sanctioned event. And in the event, he spoke much of Jesus. He prayed in Jesus' name. It was a very Christian prayer, very solid, very gospel-centered, right where he should begin and end was with Jesus Christ. And when he got done with that, there was a few people who objected, mostly the people in leadership, And so the council decided at the end of that that from now on they would make it not just a request that the prayer be non-denominational, interdenominational, and and sort of bland, but that they would make that a requirement, that the prayer has to be non-denominational, interdenominational, and non-offensive. Don't pray in Jesus' name. That is where every self-respecting Christian who understands John chapter 5 has to say, I'm done. It's all over. I will come and I will pray to the triune God and to Jesus Christ, his son, and I will honor him and I will pray in Jesus' name. And if you will not allow me to do that, then I will not be there. Every once in a while, I have the opportunity to go to do an invocation for the Bonner County Commissioner's meeting. And they allow me to pray to my God in Jesus Christ's name. So I'm praying to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm praying in Christ's name, doing an invocation between the, for the Bonner County Commissioners once every, I don't know, month, six weeks, or something like that. I'm happy to do it. I don't think I have a right to do it. In other words, I can't demand to be there. They requested. They brought me in, and that's how I pray. Now, I say this knowing that we have a Bonner County Commissioner who is a member of our church, and this is not seen as a threat. I don't know how much longer that would ever is going to happen, or I'm going to be allowed to do that. But if there should ever come a time and the member of our church who's a Bonner County Commissioner knows this, if there should ever become a time when the commissioners say, we want you to come and pray, but don't do it in Jesus' name, we want a nameless, faceless deity that is non-offensive, that is when I as a Christian have to say, I bow out. I appreciate the time that you've given me to do this. I'm willing to come and I'm willing to honor Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to come here as an idolater and pretend that a God that does not exist is going to bless these proceedings. So where do we begin? Honoring the Son. And if you will not honor the Son, you cannot honor the Father. And so we go back to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2. Kiss the Son. Do homage to the Son. Because when His wrath is kindled, He will judge. But blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You have made known to us Your grace, Your mercy, Your kindness, and Your nature in Your Son. Help us, we pray, to honor him as he is rightly deserving of all honor and praise and glory. We thank you that he is a refuge to all those who repose their souls upon him and trust him for salvation. Make us to honor him and glorify him and thus please you. Thank you that you are pleased when we make much of your son. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.